geography makes things sing, whereas everything else is just the, the notes and the components. Yeah, I always like to think that maths is the tool I use to understand geography. Nice. And that is what, and if you throw history in the mix, that, that's where you get geology. Yeah. So. Yeah, see, history, you're just, you're just a component, you know. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to make an enemy of history for this part. I actually want <laughs> some historians on to me. Hello there. My name is Kit Rackley. My pronouns are they, them. And this is Coffee and Geography. The aim of the show is to get to know, explore and celebrate the diverse and intersectional range of people on this rock we call home and their love and passions of it. We'll find out why guests identify as geographers and if they don't exactly, we'll have fun exploring all the myriad of ways that connects their life to geography. So, pour your favourite brew, get cosy and listen in. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPot. Off we go. Hi everybody, and it is episode four of Coffee and Geography. We're recording on the 12th of April, 2021, and it's uh, spring here in the United Kingdom and it's in full swing. And today I'm being joined by someone I'm actually speaking to for the very first time. So I'm keen to give a very good first impression, especially since she's taken time off out of her PhD research to talk to me. So welcome, Victoria Fernandez. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's an absolute delight. I'm so excited with uh, what we're about to talk about. And uh, you are a geologist researching how the Earth's landscape has changed over space and time. And specifically, you study how uh, climate and tectonics modulate river erosion over millions of years. Victoria is from Brazil, but currently calls the UK her home. And when not working, she likes painting and developing the Watson Forum, which is a platform for promoting women in STEM, which is science, tech, engineering and maths. Well, you've certainly given me a good first impression, that's for sure. <laughs> wow. Well, that's always um, always really good to hear. Um, I just love um, talking about, you know, geology, geography, and, you know, all things around geo, and especially promoting, ge- you know, geo, geography or geology, so... We are doing a podcast called Coffee and Geography. Now, I'm actually a tea drinker, despite all that. Um, and it was a Twitter poll that came up the title. So to reflect the relaxed conversational tone of the chat, that's why it was called that. I have my tea. It's a decaf. It's decaf tetley because it is. we are recording this late at night. Um, but what's your drink of choice, Victoria? So my drink of choice is coffee, um, black. And specifically, I'm I'm very picky about coffee, but I think it's for a, a reason that was beyond my own control. So um, my family um, comes from a coffee growing background. So back in Brazil, um, my family has been in coffee farming for, I think, about six generations. Um, so I grew up seeing my dad, my granddad talk about coffees, you know, selling coffee, planting coffee, coffee varieties, different taste profiles of coffee. And so I, for reasons of, you know, sort of supporting the coffee business in my home country, I only ever drink Brazilian coffee. And my favorite drink of choice is one that is very, very special to me, which is the coffee that comes from the farm that 
you know, used to be in, in my family. They sold the farm now, but that comes from that specific region of Brazil. Oh, that's so awesome because I'm trying to map all of the all of the beverages for all of our guests and like with your permission, that would be so awesome to actually get that like location on the map because it would yes. be so cool because yes. we're three guests in and I think there's like four beverages between us at the moment and well, five now if I count this decaf. On this map, like I don't want it to be like completely full of just like multinationals or anything like that. So that would be so awesome to get something like more family based in there. So, oh yeah, we're going to have to, we'll have to, we'll have to sort that out afterwards. Cool. Oh, we could go and chat about that now for the whole hour, but uh, well, maybe we'll come back to it in the second episode. We'll see. Right. So, okay. So you're originally from Brazil. You're at Imperial College London, but you're currently in Cambridge or just outside of Cambridge. So, okay. So you mentioned about your area of Brazil that you're from, your family's from. So I'm going to ask this question. We always ask the question about a sense of place. And you've given us a sense of place by talking about, you know, your family and your generations of coffee. So I'm going to ask you a question like this. How does your part the part of Brazil you identify with, how would you describe it to your typical Cambridgeshire resident? You know, as much as my family has been in coffee, I grew up in Rio. So Rio to me is my my home. And I think for anyone, um, it's very uh, diverse in absolutely every single sense of, of the term. You have everything from mountains that are almost a kilometer high right by the coast you know so you have the beach and you have a mountain and you have rainforest um as well as the really dense urban center um and you have it's one of the oldest cities in brazil so you have the history but it's also an incredibly new city there's been parts of the city that have only really been developed in the last 10 years and they're a whole new part so it's the old and the young and the history and the nature and the urban and the extremely rich and the extremely poor, you know, Rio features, I think, in every single geography textbook. It certainly does. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, so I think diverse really is how I would describe it in a word. Yeah, you're not wrong at all. It's, it's like I was not a single year where I didn't do anything about, you know, I did not do anything about Rio de Janeiro. And uh, let's see if I can pronounce it right. So the, the bit that I actually most found m most interesting in studying was not was not just the, the favelas, but was also um, was Baja. Um, I really, really enjoyed learning about that, you know, that new development and how it got as soon as you get onto the other side of the... So what, what is that? What is that range of mountains, those hills that separates the south zone from Baja what's that range called so it's called it's actually one specific mountain that separates okay. so it's a, a a small set of mountains where it's a big national park um that separate that keeps that separates the south zone from the north zone and the west zone so um but the bit that separates you know the sort of south zone of Rio and Baja is this one rock called Pedra da Gavia or Gavia rock and it's actually the world's largest um, monolith by the sea. And it's this one massive bit of rock, solid rock that spans from the sea all the way into the mountains. And it's just bare, bare rock and there's no two ways about it. And they, it was, it's so big that they couldn't even drill to build a tunnel through it. So the way you get through it is you either go through a road up the mountain, round the back of it and down the other side, 
or along this sort of elevated freeway that goes around kind of you know overhanging the sea it's quite an amazing you know feat in and of itself and and it's it's very big it's very large you can't can't miss it <laughs> oh, oh it's, I, I so want to go visit it's like I've, I've not set foot on south american soil and it's a it's a big continent you know and even yeah just that tiny tiny little little piece of brazil i'd love to love to visit it so what part of rio de janeiro then do you think like speaks to your soul the most what what if if you could say one this particular part of rio like is what you strongest identify with what would that be oh that is that is very very hard to to say but I think it would be the Tijuca National Park. So that's the big national park. So it's, I think, the largest urban national park in the world that sits right in the middle of Rio. And the Christ the Redeemer happens to sit, you know, right in the middle of it. So if you see photos of the Christ in, in, um, online, you're pretty much looking at right the middle of the, of the national park. And it's a big chunk of forest. And I absolutely love hiking and being in nature and the sense of belonging that it brings to me, you know, being inside the forest under that canopy, it's very um, comforting. You know, if you feel almost hugged by the forest and by nature, and because you're so high up as well in the mountains when you're hiking in there and you can see the city so far away and it's a sort of home away from home, but inside your my home, it's a really really fantastic place for me i think that is probably my biggest my my place oh that's i I really love the way you talk about that and that that really kind of goes really nicely into into the next thing i'd like to talk about to you so so we call this well we call it i call it this this part of the podcast i call it spill the beans my ex-students know I was terrible with my puns especially on exam day um so which is basically where where we find out a little bit more about yourself beyond your work and what you do I could tell that you've got this really kind of creative soul and one of these ways that you bring your creativity out is through painting and you told me about your Instagram account, which is studio.vmfernandez, so, which is amazing. Everybody's got to go check it out. And these beautiful paintings of birds that you've done. And they're so full of color. Um, so, yeah, tell us, tell us about like, what got you into painting. The, why, why is it birds and those birds from Brazil in particular? So I've always been really into painting. My whole life, I was all, I've always drawn and painted and being fair, you know, involved with art. Um, and I'm also a very colorful person. I think I absolutely love color. I think inspires me so much when I see something that's very colorful or a particular combination of colors. I think birds are just sort of this beautiful symbol. You know, they're this, they're especially tropical birds you know mm. they're, they're they're extremely colorful there's they're very unique in their coloring and the way the colors are combined and how those colors reflect the environment that they live in and the kind of and you know and sometimes how they contrast the environment they live in you know yeah. some of these beautiful birds they're the most colorful ones live in extremely barren places or live inside crevices of sort of gray rocks and i always found them so so beautiful and 
I've been living away from Brazil for almost for nine years now, almost nine years wow. now. So I came over to the UK from undergrad and um, sort of stayed, ended up staying on for my master's and PhD. And it was a way of connecting back, you know, with Brazil again. So researching the different species, researching the different environments that they, they live in, their different habits and learning more about these these species. And then you know, in that way, I sort of connected a lot more with my my own country and the environment. And, you know, even now, um, the last time I was um, back in Rio, being able to just have a look around and, you know, being in a hike in the forest and spotting a bird and being like, oh, I actually know what this bird is. Or, oh, that's a really endangered species of toucan. That's amazing that they're nesting here. Or, you know, that kind of um, connection, I think, is really really special i've tried to get back into creative arts and creative performance very very recently um and try and bring that into my geography as well and you're absolutely right like that creativity can really make you connect at a much deeper level with with nature with the environment with community and i've always been a strong believer that that it's through creativity and storytelling and things like that which really does make you you know closer to to something else whether it's nature or somebody or somebody else as i said i can't stop looking at these because they're so incredible which one which one is your favorite or which bird is your favorite i think my favorite bird is the amazonian parrot so that is the the sort of what you think of when you think of a parrot it's your sort of classic green parrot it has some a bit of yellow around the close to the beak, a bit of blue around the eyes, and then some red at the very tip of the tail. And I think that they are so incredible. You know, they're these beautiful, beautiful species, and every single one of them is different. You know, their plumage and their coloring, especially around their face, is almost like our fingerprints. No, no two parrots ever are the same. And they are such an intelligent creature. So if you've ever, you know, spent time around a parrot, they are so, so curious and they're so smart. They understand what you say and they respond so much to Mm. you. And um, they have such curious weird habits as well. So the things that I never knew about um, parrots, they love rain. So when a parrot that, you know, whenever it rains, they sort of like exposing themselves to the rain because that's their time to shower. So they love getting wet and they just then poke around in their feathers as if they're washing themselves. It's just so funny. It's so human-like and you just never expect that from a parrot. Is it? Is that the picture with you? Is that the parrot you're talking about, the one where you've got the, on your yes. arm? So just yes. if, so if people are looking at the Instagram while they're listening, that's the one that Victoria's talking about. Yeah, beautiful. Yes. It's a lovely picture. Oh, great. I've as I've as I've mentioned, like this, the creativity is something I really, really like. Love bringing into the geography sphere, and I, I just think you can explore the world so much through uh, creativity. And uh, the other thing I was looking at as well, as well as your Instagram, was um, just some articles about other ways you've expressed yourself. So there was there was a, um, an article written in 2019 by a colleague of yours at the Department of Earth Science and Engineering at Imperial College uh, London called Victoria Murphy. And if you're listening, Victoria, hello, Victoria. If if this Victoria's got you to listen, and the the title of this article is "Using Rivers to Understand the Evolution of the Earth's Surface," and there's a really lovely quote from you in it, which is which is quite creative in itself. 
um, and that is rivers can be used as tape recorders for landscape change. And I really love that analogy. Ah. So what do you what do you mean by that? I mean, I, I can guess as a geographer myself, but for those listening who who uh, who say I'm not a geographer, why would you call a river the the tape recorders of landscape change? I think this is all is basically related to the relationship between the shapes of rivers and erosion, right? So erosion is something that happens over time. And if you have um, something like, for example, at a certain time in Earth's history, you might have had more rain or you might have had something like a mountain building event that would have generated some higher topography that those rivers would have been draining over. Um, they leave a mark on the shapes of the rivers. Mm. So when I say the shapes of the rivers, I don't just mean when you look at them in map view, the meandering patterns that you see, but the actual elevation profile of the river. So the height of the river as you go from the mouth to the source. So the long profile. The long profile, yes. So the shape of the long profile um, is a reflection of the processes that generate it. And if we can measure things like the erosion rate um, or maybe make some inferences or a model about how the erosion is happening, we can actually use some mathematical models to extract the history of climate or tectonics from the longitudinal profiles of rivers. We was having, just before we started recording, I was talking to you about how I was just at a recently uh, a geography co a geography teachers conference and that actually just reminded me of a conversation we had during one of the breakout um uh, relax relaxation like chill out kind of times and they were saying oh about all maths and poo poo in maths and things like that and of course we were all reminding each other was like well come on we use so much maths and mathematics in geography it's unbelievable and that is a perfect perfect example that you just gave of geography maths and history working like in tandem and with lots of synergy when I did my environmental science degree, I couldn't believe the amount of mathematics that I had to use. It's just incredible. It's amazing, yeah. Like, I I was just um, talking to my partner recently how one thing that I remember leaving school um, thinking, oh, I'm never going to use this again. So things like <laughs> matrix multiplications, matrix operations. I was like, wow, why am I learning this? I'm never going to use this ever in my life. And then recently I found myself, well, actually... When if you're using things like um, GIS, so um, geospatial information systems, and you want to build things like 3D maps of topography, or you want to do, you know, calculate erosion, or you know, just even find extract rivers from from topography or anything, you actually need geospatial multiplications because yeah. you know any point on the Earth's surface is is a point, and so is and you can create a matrix out of it because you've got a latitude, a longitude, and an elevation. So by itself, you just create a matrix. Like you know, ge geography is is maths, and it's all inextricably linked. Like you can't separate one from the other. I just find it amazing when people think that geography is, you know, has nothing to do with maths. But actually, <laughs> I know, and uh, <laughs> I I know there's a really really good friend of mine, a geography teacher in Northern Ireland, who would be jumping out of his seat with joy right now because of everything you just said with the maths and he is a massive GIS fan, massive. So I'm just gonna go, Alistair, I bet you're punching the air and whooping and having a dance right now. That was for you, Alistair. Yeah, and you're. And I like to say this, I like to say um, geography gives 
everything else meaning so like while you're sitting in that maths class you're not sure what the application is what you're doing it for as soon as you take geography and you start applying it you're like oh okay i get it that's what it is it's like geography makes things sing whereas everything else is just the the notes and the components yeah i always like to think that maths is the tool i use to understand geography nice and that is what and if you throw history in the mix that that's where you get geology yeah so yeah, see, history, you're just, you're just a component, you know. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to make an enemy of history for this part. I actually want some <laughs> historians on to me. Well, I talk about, you know, geological history. Very yeah. different, different kinds. <laughs> <laughs> the best kind. So, yeah, you've, hit, you've, you've made a lot of people happy with what you've just said there. Um, sticking on this theme of, of creativity and bringing it in with rivers, one of my favorite poems, uh, I don't know if you've heard this one, is called The River by um, Jamaican-born poet Valerie Bloom. And I used to use it um, to introduce the topic of rivers when I taught high school geography. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but um, I'll put a link in the description to this where people can actually listen to Valerie herself read the poem on a, on, um, a website called uh, Children's Poetry Archive, which is beautiful. And she says, um, I'll just read two verses. The river's a wanderer, a nomad, a tramp. He doesn't choose one place to set up his camp. The river's a winder through valley and hill. He twists and turns. He just cannot be still. And it just goes through all of that. And it's almost like Valerie is taking you down the long profile in that very lyrical way. And I strongly recommend people read that up, listen to it, perhaps use it in their geography lessons and get Valerie to tell you on that children's poetry archive website. And I'll put a link in the description. So yeah, I thought you might um, might like that. <laughs> I do. I really appreciate it. It's really great. Right. So a nice little segue into the next bit, which is um, I'm going to use a clip of you talking to segue into something else, which is uh, what you're a strong supporter of. So I would tell myself to do more things that I find or make me feel uncomfortable. So challenge myself more often and be comfortable with being and become comfortable with being uncomfortable because that way you're always ready for whatever is coming up ahead and the challenges become more of a fun thing and a thing that helps you grow rather than something that scares you and paralyzes you. That was you a couple of years ago doing an interview uh, for the Watson Forum Project. So can you tell us a little bit about that and why is it important? Um, yeah, so this uh, project, so it was started by um, Adriana, who's now um, a lecturer at Imperial College. And her idea was to do these sort of micro interviews to promote um, women in STEM and specifically to promote um, women or young young girls to take up subjects that use numerical modeling. So that is something that she works a lot with. So she works with rock mechanics and fracture modeling, um, which is a very different kind of modeling that I do. Um, but um, either way, it's to sort of encourage women with real role models. So not just a role model of someone who um, you know, might have lived many years ago who, in a context that might not be applicable today or might be too old for someone who is younger to relate to, which is a, it's a real thing. Um, I remember as a young girl thinking like, oh, like who, you know, not being able to name a female scientist and, you know, or even just some, a female scientist living right now. Like it, I always found that just amazing that uh, you never get taught that, you know, maybe Marie Curie, maybe, 
And then, but you know, who who are these women who are working today in STEM? And so Ajana started this series of YouTube videos interviewing women around Imperial College. And we're now, we filmed um, editing season seven and sort of looking for um, people to film for season eight. And I've joined her in this endeavor. Um, so we've now grown a bit into Twitter as well. And I started the Instagram page for it as well. Um, so we're trying to branch out and increase our, our audience. But the idea is to present role models, women role models of people doing science today. Please give, give, a, give a shout out to that Instagram account and that Twitter so people can get in contact. The Instagram account is Watson underscore forum. And the Twitter account is Watson forum. Just no, awesome. no underscore. I'm definitely going to help you disseminate that stuff because that is amazing. I'll follow that myself as well. Yeah, I was just looking down the list. So you've got season one, you've got um, six people there. You've got a lot of colleagues from I ICL. So Laura Petrescu, Rebecca Bell, and then you got then you start branching out to other establishments as well, like Hannah Bentham at Leeds. And then you start going abroad, Penn State and Oklahoma State in the United States with uh, Ghazal Azadi and... Um, yeah, this is amazing. And KIT, I know a few. I have a few colleagues at KIT actually. So you've got Erin Yukar there because uh, of my previous job. So they're really, really good at what they do at KIT. This is really, really exciting. And uh, I'm going to take this into work, my day job, because my day job is oh. higher education outreach. And one thing we're trying to do is raise aspirations for um, young people to enter higher education. And I and I am certainly going to come back and use these clips because they're nice and short. And they can be embedded into other presentations. So thank you so much, Victoria. This is exceptionally useful. <laughs> yeah, we. I think the point is trying to not just um, get women who work in a variety of different settings, but also a variety of different topics. So, every, you know, everyone is, there are people in industry, but also people who work with physics. So um, Jess Wade, um, Dr. Jess Wade is there as well. Um, so everyone from geology to physics to industry to academia to from young to old from parts of the world, all sorts of different backgrounds. So trying to branch out um, as much as we possibly can, because you know the the more role models we can put out there, the better. Fully, fully supportive behind that. That's brilliant. And I'm so glad you gave the Instagram and the Twitter shout out so people can um, connect with that and and get in contact with you if they're interested. There's a, there's a few people I would love to, like uh, one of my favorite, favorite uh, lecturers at UEA. Well, now, because she, she was doctor at the time, but now Professor Jenny Barclay at uh, Volcanologist at the University of Stanglia. And she she is a diamond. She is a wonderful human being. And um, I really strongly think that um, she should get in contact with you and I don't know I'm not going to speak for her but yeah hi Jenny <laughs> right we're going to play a silly game now um, and this I, we're calling this jog on and this is where I give you a place a name or event or a tv show or whatever it's just a random thing and I've used a random topic a random word generator to come up with these things okay so just to clarify for the listeners you ha you don't know any of the words in no. advance, right? No. Okay, you get, if if none of them are going to make you uncomfortable, don't worry. <laughs> They're just silly <laughs> random ones. So, um, if you want to elaborate on any, you say jog on. If you don't fancy elaborating, just say take a hike. Okay. Okay. But there is a there is a catch. You can only say take a hike twice. 
So if you use those up early, you're going to have to talk about the remaining ones. Okay. Right. Uh, are you ready? This is just me trying to be hip. <laughs> All right. You ready? Yeah. Okay. So get. So again, you reply jog on if you want to chat about it, or take hike if you don't. So these are completely random, and the first word is gymnastics. Oh, gymnastics. Mm. Jog on. Okay. Talk to me about gymnastics. Um. So gymnastics. Um. I'm thinking it's a very broad word right if it, i think gymnastics it ranges from everything from um what someone might do as a form of exercise as by just going to the a, a gym or just trying to i don't know do a bit of stretching exercises or balance exercises to the full full-on olympic um gymnastics and i don't think i as a young girl i did Olympic gymnastics, but I very soon outgrew, um, very, very quickly, I outgrew the, the average height of the class and was, was, my mother was swiftly informed that I was too big to be doing gymnastics that I wouldn't be able to do, which is very, very sad. Yeah. Um, but I, I find gymnastics is an incredibly amazing thing because a lot of the people I know who were sort of in the gymnastics club and my best friend is a gymnast and he's absolutely amazing and he it's the muscle memory that you get from that that once you sort of learn a move um that you freely don't forget it like once apparently once you learn how to do a backflip you just know how to do a backflip and you it's um really really um easy to do so the second word and again you can either pass or you can take it on is boats take a hike okay <laughs> This one is so random. You're going to like this one. Okay, third one, camels. Camels? Yeah. Uh, jog on. Okay, let's talk about yeah. camels for a bit. <laughs> yeah. So one thing that I can never um, remember is whether camels have one hump or two or whether those are dromedarians. <laughs> so that is my, my first take on, on, on camels. Never, never know. And the second one is... What was it? The nature documentary that has recently, has it recently come out? I don't know. About the camels in Mongolia. Was, I think it's a, as an um, Attenborough one. Oh, is it? I yeah. think only about... Perfect Planet. Yes, Perfect Planet. For there was only about 500 of those camels left right. in Mongolia. And the amazing story behind them trekking through the desert for days and days and days just looking for um, the camel. The camels and I just remember thinking about that whole scene and the behind the scenes of of the camel and how it's it, it's so great that people nowadays are trying to show the behind the stories and not just the the result mm. but what it takes to get that result because I think that is so 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 important you know you know or you always see sort of success you know successful people um and you always think oh my gosh that is amazing they have it all like how can they do it but actually what you don't see is the 90 percent of work and grind and effort and perseverance and determination and the lows that you go through to actually achieve that you know tip of the iceberg and the camel's filming to me was sort of summing up a lot of that is the you always see in the documentary is that that amazing shot of the camels walking through the desert yeah. you know as they're going through the desert walking looking for snow 
to drink and you know you think wow that's amazing that must be so you know oh, i i'm gonna go to mongolia and spot the <laughs> the camels where actually and then you go back and you see you know the camera crew in minus 20 degrees and like taking like two the, weeks to find a camel yeah and just the camels kept running away and they thought oh we're never going to find this this is impossible and you know their the extent that they all go through you know the, the things they put their bodies through just to film a camel like it is it's amazing so yeah that's my take on camels <laughs> it was either planet earth 2 or or planet earth 1 but it was one of them where they did the behind the scenes with the birds of paradise do you remember that one where he was yeah. in that bird hide for like days and it just yes. nothing was happening and he yes. was getting so so depressed and upset and then all of a sudden it happened and he got the most beautiful footage of those birds of paradises courting their or trying to court their uh, their female counterparts which is which is amazing but yeah I I totally agree with you I I enjoy probably those behind the scenes bits probably better than the well more so than than the actual uh, main footage itself I I'm in complete agreement with you there. Okay, so we've got two left. So you have to choose one since you've, since you've, uh, if you don't choose this one, you've got to do the last one. Okay. If you do do this one, you can't do the last one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the fourth word is exercise, which you kind of already said with gymnastics, really. Yeah. So take a hike. Let's okay. go for a different one. Right. You ready? You've got to talk about this. You've got no choice. It's just, just completely random. And the, the, compl the fifth random word that came up was cheese. 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 Love. <laughs> Love cheese, definitely. All kinds oh, of cheese. Big win. cheese lover. Um, I was actually mentioning this to, to my partner recently that I really want to visit. It's not cheesery. Cheesery is what I called it at the time. <laughs> but a dairy. <laughs> you know, a place where they actually make cheese. you got me thinking um, now. <laughs> I, I just think it's amazing how you get everything from, you know, mozzarella and you see people making mozzarella with big wooden ladles and a sort of pot of milky goodness to the really aged cheeses and, and the, the gruyere. And what I, I cannot fathom to this day is the, how they've managed to cultivate the very specific microorganism that requires to make every single type of different cheese taste what it tastes like. It's just amazing how Science. throughout, yeah, it's just, I always find it incredible, the trial and error that must have gone on until they found the perfect taste and then having enough of that to be able to propagate their, you know, microbial starter to be able to keep that flavor the same yeah. because it's, you know, how do you stop mutations from these microorganisms? What's stopping <laughs> you one day think realizing, Oh my gosh, my my little Gruyere, pot, you know, pot of cheese microorganisms now actually tastes of gorgonzola. This is terrible. <laughs> yeah, you know, how do you stop that happening? I just think it's it's incredible. <laughs> I just, uh, it's just I, as you was, I, I was trying to look up the word cheesy to see if it was actually proper cheesy, but you had me in stitches there. Um, but I managed to do it. Um, so actually you were right a place where cheese is made a cheese factory is cheesery it's actually is it's it's more of a slang term but it is acceptable but do you know what the other word for cheesery is is performing an action or relating to cheese often these actions can be deceitful or could be categorized as shenanigans so oh. <laughs> if your friend if your friend smears nacho nacho cheese on your knee you should yell quit your cheesery <laughs> 
<laughs> but I must admit, everybody, that is from the Urban Dictionary, not from the actual Merriam-Webster. <laughs> so... <laughs> oh, oh, brilliant. You know what? You know what? I had to actually, I will I will admit, I did have actually had to run that random generator um, again, because actually the fifth one that came up, you're not going to believe this, the fifth word that actually came up was Earth Sciences. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> so I said we can't have that because we're gonna be talking about that the whole time. So uh, yeah, so actually the cheese was the sixth roll rather than the fifth roll. <laughs> um, right. Oh, I, I could. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna say it's about every guest tonight. But I really, really enjoyed talking to you, Victoria. And I tell you what, if I'm not gonna be surprised if I end up having like second goes with people because it's just so been so good. Um, but we do have to bring it to a close. What we do, we end with every podcast episode with a 30 second challenge where the guest of the previous episode gives us a word that we've got to try and link to geography now in the previous um, episode david alcock had to link the battle of hastings to geography set by Catherine owen and did it just about yep we did it but david's gone a little bit abstract for us because what david's trying to achieve is something called hopeful geography so he's a high school geography teacher but he's doing some research as well and he's trying to promote this sense of hopeful geography realistic optimism and things like that and it's it's really really lovely so the word that david has given us is hope oh yeah lovely isn't it yeah i'm just about to set i'm just about to set my timer Oh, gosh, this is challenging. It is, isn't it? Because it's so abstract. Yeah. Um, so we've got we've got 30 seconds to do hope. Are you ready? Yeah. Right. Go. Okay. I think hope um, relates to geography in that geography is about looking at the world's current problems and thinking about how to solve them. So if that, to me, if that isn't hope, I don't know what is. You know, it's everywhere from the urban environment to the natural environment. It's about thinking of what do we, how do we understand the today? Yeah, to enriching our lives, finding yeah. beauty and diversity. Oh, time's up. Oh, no! But, but I know it's so hard. It's what we're actually, what we're actually finding is that not we're not having problems, we're having problems staying within 30 seconds rather than filling 30 seconds and yeah i think let's you know what D david would be very very keen for just for me and you just to talk a little bit more about what we think hope is for geography because it's just such a beautiful word that we've been given and i don't think 30 seconds is going to give it justice so so carry on with your train of thought yeah i mean i think um i tend to think uh, i as a geologist i in my mind instantly goes to things like you know climate change it's something that can make you feel so helpless and feel hopeless as well that we'll actually find a solution to it um you know it, it makes if if you're not geared to thinking about trying to find ways of actually stimulating it as you know like we, we're here to find solutions to this problem um you know, I think that's part of what geography is, is, is stimulating this, uh, this hope that there is a better future and that we can understand the world around us in order to make informed decisions of how to, to go forward. You know, to, that it help, gives us hope that we do understand the world around us, that we can make these changes. So that is my, you know, and climate, you know, to me, is you know, I always go to climate, but it applies to every area of geography, right? So anything from social inequalities to like, um, you know, everything. Yeah, yeah, it's, and 
I think again, just just re- just referencing back to the conference that I was just part of, and and every time I go to that conference, where it's in person or for the last two years, it's been online. I've I've come away hopeful, more hopeful, not just because of what I've been learning, you know, about pedagogy or about or about content or learning new stuff, just just that I can teach in the classroom. But just reconnecting with everybody again, you know, the fellow geographers and, and just feeling buoyed by all of the work that they're doing and all the contributions they're making and what they're instilling in young people, you know, and that makes me very, very hopeful. Um, and working with young children, you know, and future geographers just always fills me with hope. I mean, I've, I'm still in contact with so many of my ex-students and, and they really do fill me with hope for the future. So, so yeah, if any of them are listening, so. Um, yeah. I mean, especially with, you know, any, any teaching that you do, I've done my fair share of um, sort of graduate teaching assistant roles at Imperial. And it's definitely something that fills you with hope is the hope that the next generation is out there and is bright and creative and thinking about you know how to how to move forward okay so victoria we did that for our next guest can you think of uh, a word that you're going to challenge me and the next guest to connect to geography um challenge i think that's the word i want the word i want is challenge yes challenge we're going to go with challenge yes so it's going to be a challenge to use the word challenge next week okay we'll go with that victoria i can't i would love to talk to you more thank you so much but before we do go um i would like you to let people know where they can find you on social media um yeah so you can find me on um instagram either through um at studio vm fernandez or through the watson forum so that's at watson underscore forum um on twitter i'm vm fernandez 13 um that's usually where i I push a lot of my own research and what i've been doing in my own work um so yeah that's where you can find me um or v um victoria fernandez dot github dot io that's my personal website so i've got a lot more about my my outreach and my my research that i've been doing as well Awesome. Very generous. Thank you. Um, and any shout outs you'd like to give? Um, um, I think probably shout out to um, Imperial College. Um, they've been my home, um, you know, at ESC, Earth Science and Engineering at Imperial College. They've been my home for the past um, four years and I'm with them as a postdoc now for another two um, especially to them, um, to my partner, Alistair, who is also, uh, you know, in the, the geo world, he's a geophysicist nice. and he also does some amazing, amazing work, um, looking at the interior of the earth. And he's been, you know, dealing with me throughout this whole pandemic. So it's been, <laughs> been really great. So shout out to him. <laughs> oh, bless. Perhaps we'll get him on one day. That'd be amazing. Well, thank you so, so much, Victoria. I really, really enjoyed this chat. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for having me, kids. It's amazing. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you had fun. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favorite podcast app. If you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPod and send us a DM. Or you could email coffeeandjog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep jogging.